past, present, and future is drawn in large part from transcripts of Joseph Banks' trial, um, during which many alarmingly strange things happened, um, including that he was trying to not stay there for his own trial and um, that he was representing himself in this very unusual way. And so I took a lot of um, a lot of that track from the transcripts and from things that happened during his trial. So the track we just listened to, Past, Present, and Future, um, and sort of preview info, um, just kind of setting the stage for a cool episode we have tonight. Uh, my guest is Adele Nicholas. 
She's a Chicago-based civil rights attorney and activist. A lot of her work focuses around fighting systematic abuses uh, within the criminal justice system here. And um, she's also the front person for Exxon's uh, indie rock trio who just released a new full-length album called I Object to Everything, and that was one of the tracks off of it. Uh, so the album actually provides a, a lens into Adele's advocacy work through her songwriting while giving some light with a more empathetic perspective on what prisoners will deal with in the criminal justice system. So this particular song cycle documents one of the city's most harrowing and notorious jailbreaks of recent memory. And back in uh, December of 2012, um, Joseph Pobze Banks and Kenneth Conley were two prisoners who were awaiting sentencing for bank robbery. They escaped out of a window at the Federal Metropolitan Correctional Center, which is in downtown uh, Chicago in the Loop. Um, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit more of a backstory on this, those of you who don't venture downtown much or aren't as familiar, uh, just to provide some color here. So um, let's get into that, and then we'll be chatting with Adele uh, more about her work, about the album, and what's going on with Exxon. I took a look at kind of the background for the album for um, I Object to Everything, and uh, it's funny, uh, the, the building that that escape uh, happened from the prison downtown I used to walk past that every day when I was going to college at Columbia. And um, I kind of was fascinated with it because it really is stark, you know. Um, it doesn't look like anything else downtown. It's this sort of like weird, brutalist sort of like triangle of monolith that just is kind of yeah. plopped down in the middle of the loop, you know. Um, and I went back and just kind of to read up on sort of like the background of the building. And, I, you know, obviously we'll get to more of like, you know, you're, you're a bit around it, but what I'm trying to kind of give to folks who are listening to this a little bit of context may not be familiar with uh, where uh, this, uh, your album's content, the, the songs kind of like are inspired by the escape. This building, the, the, the windows are like these weird little like vertical slits that are five inches wide. Right. And, you know, and then the, the two inmates that you kind of reference in here, they escape from 17 stories up and this building is just this wild just monolithic facade there's no everything's like a smooth surface and these windows are just these random little five inch slits that are just kind of going across on each floor and, and just a marvel of that being able to rappel down like these just really straight vertical sort of planes and, and like these fabricated bedsheet ropes that they made it's just fascinating so um I guess um, just given that little bit of backstory, I, I know you, you do a lot of work um, kind of in the civil rights arena with uh, various folks of um, underrepresented communities and disenfranchised communities. How, how did you come across this idea as a concept for this album? So this prison escape happened about 10 years ago. Um, and I was a younger civil rights lawyer at that time. And I, of course, vividly remember when it happened, it was quite shocking. And of course, there was lots of media coverage of it. Right. Um, and at the time, everyone had kind of this baseline reaction of, wow, that's really wild right uh, 
kind of unbelievable that it happened, that they got away with it. And everyone was fascinated by and drawn to the story, of course, but I never really interrogated what was it that was so fascinating to me about this story until much later when um, I got the idea to start using it as inspiration for a set of songs. And um, thinking about it more, I guess it's easy to say, and the easy explanation for a story like this is that it's two people who were desperate to avoid the consequences of their own bad decisions. And that's maybe the story that gets told in court ultimately. Right. And that's of course part of what happened, but I think it's also an incomplete explanation and it's an explanation that kind of tends to avoid some of the more complex and Mm -hmm. interesting questions about what could make two people do something so incredibly dangerous. And the more I thought about it, what struck me was that the chances of death or catastrophic physical injury were incredibly high. Right. Chances of success were incredibly low. And the consequences of an unsuccessful attempt were definitely known to these two folks. I mean, either it was death or serious injury or an incredibly long period of imprisonment under extremely harsh conditions. So I really became interested in grappling with the question of what is it that's so intolerable about prisons that two people would take this kind of risk? Um, and that's that was kind of the starting point um, for exploring more about this story. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask us, one of my next questions is really more so around uh, the, the, the viewpoint you, you've taken with uh, the songwriting and sort of this, the story itself um, for the lyrical content. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's that, that sort of view of from the, the, the perspective of the inmate, the, the guys who are trying to escape. Um, and, and there's a, there's a certain trope for that. You know, there's the the whole going back to like the Johnny Cash sort of um, Folsom Prison Blues. You know, this is a very um, probably a cheesy reference because it's the most obvious one. But th- the point you're bringing in though is there there's a bit more nuance to this with our our, our legal system and our, our you know mass incarceration systems that we have in this country. Um, and, and what's the, the broadest stroke is, is it, it, it's missing a lot of the bristles, you know, and a lot of the, the things that really make up that storyline that just kind of get washed out, you know. Um, so I, I, I think that's really, you know, I was gonna say from a, a sort of an emotional impact standpoint, that's to me is really refreshing to kind of get that view and, and it's kind of just painted at this very, um, sort of outward looking lens um, with that. Um, With that, uh, did you do research with kind of uh, these particular uh, inmates experiences with any of that or, you know, the the constructing the storyline, was it more kind of reference from like work that you've done um, to kind of put together this sort of, uh, these sort of um, narratives, I guess, because they're little, sort of almost like little scenes between each song of like what's kind of happening um, to create the, the individual pieces. 
So there's a tremendous amount of information available about both of their cases just right. from the court records because they were, I mean, of course, there was a tremendous amount of media coverage too. Right. Um, I definitely went back and reread a lot of the contemporaneous um, media coverage of not just the escape and the aftermath of the escape, but also of their criminal cases. And as I started to look a little bit more deeply into it, I started downloading some of the transcripts from court proceedings. Um, and there was a lot that was available there. Um, so, for example, I downloaded the transcripts of the trial of um, Joseph Jose Banks, who had a very unusual trial um, in which he rejected the help of an attorney and represented himself and adopted a a strange defense um, that sometimes resurfaces in federal cases where he said he was a sovereign citizen, not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States courts or the federal government. And ultimately, he really didn't put on much of a defense. Um, and today, he, of course, we know from uh, things that have happened long after this, he attributes his dis- decision to do that, which he now recognizes was a really bad one. Um, to the fact that this escape was being planned at the same time um, and the stressors that was causing to him mentally. But let's, you know, go back to um, when this trial was actually happening. So I downloaded all of those transcripts and it was kind of a fascinating and terrible spectacle um, because it was obviously wasn't putting on a good defense. You know, he wasn't really responding to the charges against him at all. But he's also a person who has just a really uh, unique and interesting way with words. And a lot of the things he said during the trial were interesting and kind of resonated with me Mm. in particular. um, Each time the prosecution would offer a piece of evidence, the judge who was presiding over the case would give him an opportunity to state whether he had any objection to the particular evidence that was being offered. And he typically would just say, I object to this whole proceeding or... Um, you know, I just object. Yes. But at one point he said, I object to everything past, present and future. And wow, I was very struck by that because there was something about that sentiment that, um, appealed to me because I've uh, sometimes felt like that in court, you know, sometimes, uh, the work that I do, we're trying to push back against some of the abuses of the criminal justice system. And I, I sometimes have the sense that, oh my gosh even great progress on this work is like around the margins, right? And what I really want to do is flush the entire system down the toilet and start over. Right, it's frustrating. deeply, fundamentally flawed. So anyway, long way of saying that's where I took the title of the album. That's great, yeah. And uh, one of the songs on the record uh, has a title from that phrase too. Okay, cool. I mean, you, you kind of give a really detailed... Uh, as part of the process for that um was the this kind of the storyline for uh, the album for the 11 tracks that are on that you have for this that it come very quickly as far as getting everything together to take a while for you to kind of put all this together like i'm just kind of curious what your creative process was with this because like, i i see it like for me it's like after listening to the tracks and just checking this stuff out it's like okay, that's it's almost like a, like an eleven scene like um, operetta or like a, a play in a sense. You know, you you have the storyline in place. So a 
largely it's chronological. Um, it traces kind of the offenses that these two were accused of that ultimately put them in jail. Some of the uh, stuff from their criminal trials, some of the planning that went into the escape, the escape itself, and then right. talks about what happened after. And then a song about each of their sentencing hearings and um, a song about where they are now. So it generally follows a chronological the arc, right? Uh, yeah, chronological arc. There's one kind of flashback song in there, um, which is kind of about um, Joseph Banks' career before he got involved in the criminal justice system, um, where he had aspirations of being a clothing designer. And uh, he's, by all reports, a, a very talented tailor and had some real opportunity to actually have a good career doing that. Um, but it ended up kind of falling apart before it took off. So there's a song about that too. Um, but yeah, so in terms of, you know, the process for writing it, I mean, I'll tell you, it took a really, really long time um, mm -hmm. in part because I was you know, I'm writing from an outsider perspective, so I'm trying to imagine what it would have felt like during these situations sure. and what that, uh, you know, just what you would have observed and how you would have felt like doing something like this. Um, and more pragmatically, it's, you know, I'm obviously this is a hobby. I'm a lawyer by right. day. Yeah, yeah, right, and right. my bandmates are also, you know, grown right. up adult professionals. So sure, um, right. you know, there's some inherent, uh, slow progress that comes from that let's take a quick break um and play something else off of i object to everything uh adele tell us about the track suspended um kind of what that right re represents from a storyline standpoint um and then uh, we'll uh, spin that for uh, the folks who are listening so that is a song about the actual process of going out this window and going down the side of the building on wow. improvised rope and pulley system made out of bed sheets and dental floss and how absolutely terrifying that must have been and how I think these two people were uh, at a moment where they em embraced is the wrong word but they accepted the possibility of they had nothing to lose dying yeah right. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think either of them thought this was a, a safe thing or that they were certain to survive it. Narrow opening eight inches. The roof is closed to slip through the crack. Said a prayer for his estranged daughter. Gripped with cold dread, he began the descent. He's made up his mind into the night. 
I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about the history of um, the project, uh, how Axon sort of came to be. Um, I was checking out your Bandcamp earlier today, and uh, the stuff that you were putting out originally seemed like it was more of a solo format and more electronic-based. Um, but I'm just curious how, um, if you could just tell us about how the band evolved and um, how the other members came in and such. So. I did, I used Axons as kind of a moniker that I've released whatever songs I'm writing under over the years. So when I started it, I was doing a electronic loop based style of songwriting and performing. I think that had some inherent limitations. I'm glad I did it because at that time I just felt like um, I was interested in the production side a little bit. And I was interested in practicing um, some of that and just a different approach to live performance. And that was fun, but I think it had some inherent limitations and ultimately the thing I enjoy most um, with music is playing in a rock band. And so um, over the past couple of years, I've gotten one going again. Um, And um, the current iteration is a three piece guitar, drums and bass. Um, our drummer is Sarah Sterling, who's played in tons of um, great Chicago bands over the years. We've never played in a band together before, but we've definitely like jammed together in other people's projects right. and uh, just known each other through like band friends for a long time. So it was um, wonderful to now like be in a band with her. Um, and then our bass player is Princess Ojaku, who I met through... Um, some mutual friends and she'd played in bands um, in North Carolina where she used to live. Um, and they're just like the dream team of bandmates. They were uh, tremendously instrumental to getting this record together. Yeah. I mean, they both have just awesome um, ideas for arrangements and harmonies. Their instincts are just incredible. They had just really good ideas about like transitions in the songs and where to add additional elements. So it was just, um, it really never would have come together without them. Um, it certainly wouldn't have been nearly as good. Yeah. A band dynamic really helps the music breathe. I, I feel um, I kind of in the same from my own personal experiences. I, I actually prefer like a trio format too. So it gives you more room for things, but just having uh, the other, uh, like especially with a rhythm section, to bounce ideas off of and then just from the arrangement touch standpoint it gives it a much to me a much richer sound um and that was very striking when i was listening to the material earlier too like um like i felt like the stuff the the stuff you had from your earlier time was cool i mean just very you know really cool electronic layers and such um but definitely with this album like the sound really kind of hits you in the face you know with the dynamics the punch of the drums and the bass with going with your voice and guitar so um and that that interplay and that those uh, sort of uh, group dynamics are really really uh, present there um it sounds like you have a, a great lineup to work with for that so thanks yeah they're they're awesome um yeah i felt like until we played our release show i didn't realize um that we had done a pretty good job like creating right dynamics within the songs like there were some times when I was like oh wow like the only sound happening in this room right now is my singing and I was like suddenly very aware (laughs) of that Um, that there were just these like quieter moments within our songs 
but um, yeah, it was really fruitful to, um, to work with the two of them. And um, yeah, they played a, a big part in writing it. Cool. So um, you had your release show at the hideout. Is that your, your first uh, show sort of back post pandemic with this lineup and getting the album out? Um, like, I'm just kind of curious how, how the live experience has been going for you. And I asked this for most of my guests um, just because we're kind of technically out of this or supposedly out of this pandemic period now, or we're in a, a sort of a lull, but how was the show and how, you know, how has it been going uh, gigging and all that for your group? So it felt amazing to yeah. play this live show. Yep. It was the first show we'd done since, you know, before the pandemic, we did a show in uh, like a couple of weeks before all the lockdown started um, at the Emporium with some friends. And that was a really lovely night. And then, yeah, we didn't play for a couple of years, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Close to two years. And like a black hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did, we'd stayed in touch throughout that time. You know, for a long time, we were having like a weekly, what we called our band banter. Right. Um, by zoom. Right. Of course. And um but it was really wonderful to start getting together again, practicing and um, preparing for the show it was just really, really fun. And the show felt great. It was, it was just lovely to see a bunch of people and finally share these songs. And finally, right. um, you know, we'd been sitting on this record for a while. Like we'd finished right. recording it probably close to a year ago. Um, so yeah, it was, it felt really good to finally share it with other people. So uh, my question now is really around, um, I guess you could say the why of the, the story. Um, you know, what led you to want to talk about this? I mean, there's the obvious thread of your work with advocacy with civil rights. Um, and then there's the intersection of that with you being a songwriter. But um there's this mode of storytelling that kind of goes with writing this. Um, and, and I'm just kind of curious um, how that sort of came about. It felt very fruitful to me to um, explore this approach to songwriting, to think about a story that was came from real life, to try to put myself in the shoes of people who, you know, in a lot of ways are very um, different from me but to think about those common human elements that we all have um, and you know, what that whole experience must have been like and what um, some of the particular moments within that experience were like. So that was for me really fruitful. It was also, um, I, I guess I'm only realizing um, now that I'm sharing it that I do have a little bit of a um, Unique's not quite the right word, but you know, I have a particular perspective on this kind of thing. Like the work that I do is I do a ton of work with my law partner um, on behalf of people who are in prison and especially people who are stuck in prison, who are trying to get out um, or having difficulty doing that for various reasons. And so I um, just have developed this uh, disposition towards the system that's like, I mean, to me, it's like as natural as breathing because I've just been in this mode for so long, but only now I'm realizing like listening to this record back and um, some of the viewpoints that felt natural for me to adapt. It's like, oh, <laughs> actually, that's like maybe not everyone's reaction to this kind of event. 
Um, so anyway, I mean, that's a long way of saying I, um, I feel like this was a really fruitful approach to songwriting for me. Um, I'm interested in doing something similar in the future. I, maybe some, I mean, the story like ultimately makes me very sad. Like it's, uh, there's parts of it that are absurd and shocking and funny, but I think constantly about how these two guys are just in an unfathomably harsh prison. Um, they're suffering very much every single day and right. they will be for a really long time. And they're now both in like, a, they're both in supermax prisons or April, yes, right? the most yeah. restricted prison in the so, entire country. Right. For, yeah. You know, it, it seems a bit, it's severe. Um, I kind of understand the logic like, well, yeah, there are escape risks, but like that, that that's again, I think some of the stuff with, um, the things that, you know, the criminal justice system and certain entities, you know, paint in broad strokes with that you're kind of working to either mitigate or try to help correct of like, really? They're in the supermax prison with like the Unabomber, right? Yeah. Like these guys aren't that dangerous. They're not like a national security threat. Like really? Like, yeah. So, I mean, so I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out the right way of asking here, and I'm probably stumbling a bit over my words, but like you're, you're really bringing this, the storyline, but like this, almost this like kind of perspective of empathy working in this system that the vast majority of the world just doesn't have, you know? Um, and we just don't get to see in the media very often because um, of the way certain political entities, certain media outlets and, and systems in place that are preventing things from like being shown in a, a different light or a true light, or you know, even a complete, like what you're talking about earlier with the complete picture. Like this is just, you, you know, it, you read about this, uh, say on like, a, for instance, I was just getting some facts on Wikipedia and the way it was even written there. I mean, it's short, short summer, short summarization of what happened, but you know, there's still that, sense of like well that's just how it is in the criminal justice system you know um but you know you being able to kind of go in and and by proxy through going through these these two gentlemen's psyches uh to kind of get at like okay why right why why did they jump out of a 17-story window that's only five inches wide like to to be able to get through that kind of physical barrier um, you know, the, the driver behind that. And, you know, um, and, and in this world, we just don't see any kind of empathy for that. You know, uh, we don't see, we see less and less. Empathy. I mean, and I'm going to go on my slant here. Um, and, and, and like, just kind of after we kind of reacting to what you have written and released here, um, it, to me, it just paints this, it helps illustrate that the problem really is it's systematic, but it's also societal of like, we have less and less empathy for other points of view now and less and less empathy for um, understanding of, of things like, it, you know, that it's not all one way. It's not one particular point of view and it's not, you know, the, the pardon the cliche fair and balanced really to just take it at face value. People should dig a little deeper. So I, I think you did a really good job with this material of getting people to at least think about it, you know, um, and it's, it's a story. It, it could come off as allegory, but it is very much based in this, these real events, you know? Um, but um, I, I, for one, am like, okay, th- this is kind of a cool vehicle for th- this way of 
uh, explaining kind of what you do as a, a person who's trying to help people in the world. So um, kudos for that. Thanks very much. You know, yeah, I, I, a lot of what you said resonates with me, which is, you know, obviously we have to have laws and we have to foster respect for them. Right. But there is a difference between justice and vengeance. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so often we tip over into the latter. Right. And this, I think, is a, an example of that. Like, of course, right. um, the government is going to have a strong response to people having escaped from prison. But um, I think that the type of imprisonment we are subjecting these two people and really everyone who's in that prison to, it's just out of, uh, it's completely out of proportion with (laughs) anything that we would perceive as um, a reasonable response. I mean, we're talking about 23 hours a day in a cell with no human contact every day for right. years on end. That's not rehabilitation, right? Oh, of course not. And it's thing from um, it, right. Right, right. It's a slow death, yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears and spin up another track. But before we do that, uh, Del, if you can give us a synopsis. This track is close enough to dream. So kind of give us the backstory of, of this uh, After these two guys escaped from the MCC, they parted ways. And one of them was recaptured after about two days, a little bit over two days. Wow. The other guy was out for um, a little over two weeks. And during that time, he um, made plans to try to seriously get away. He was ultimately recaptured in the Chicago suburbs. But um, this track kind of explores what that must have felt like to be out for those two weeks and to be thinking about leaving this part of his life behind and getting out of the country and and being someone new. A disconcerting sight, my face on a wanted poster. Exhausted mugshot of a man backed in a corner
what was it about doing uh, for you putting uh, the release out on this kind of this limited edition cassette? Like what was kind of your thought process behind that from a sort of a, a medium or an offering type standpoint, I guess? Well, I mean, there was just kind of a pragmatic side to it, which is Finals expensive. I, I didn't, <laughs> yes, I didn't know how, what level of interest there would be Right. in the record period or in a physical format for the record. Right. And uh, I didn't want to get saddled with a bunch of inventory, um, especially right. expensive inventory of, of like course. vinyl, right. which, you know. Um, expensive. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then I don't know. There's the whole like self-doubt side of it. Like I don't want my family and friends and people who care about me to feel like they're obligated to buy this $20 thing from me. Anyway, right. all of that is like, there's just some pragmatic sides to doing a cassette because it's inexpensive. You can sell it for very inexpensive and um, you can do a small run and um, sure. and it's just like a fun little object for people to have if they want a physical format for it. I've also always kind of liked cassettes. Um, you know, it's so funny when people say something to me like, who has a cassette player? And I literally, I've never not had one. Really? Like, I, I've always, well, I had this really great boom box when I was in high school that had right. like the CD player and the cassette thing on it. I still have that thing and it still works. Right. It's in the basement now. It works a little less well than it used to, but you know, that's what I still have in my kitchen now is like a boom box with a cassette deck in it. Okay. So, um, I've always had one and I've always kind of liked that format. Okay. Yeah. There, there seems to be a lot of resonance with it. I mean, some of it's a throwback nostalgic thing. Um, and it, it, they are, they're ridiculously cheap to make and there's that sentimentality, but it, it does kind of look cool too. as like a, an art, an art object. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. I, I've actually at this point, cause I've seen a lot of local, a lot of bands period now are just doing it because it's so co cost effective a way to kind of release a physical uh, medial. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in the market to trying to find like a decent deck. So um, granted, all the tapes I probably had since I was in high school are, are a bit probably chewed up or melted or, or whatever, sitting in underneath my <laughs> desk here. I kind of hold them on, hold on to them as sort of uh, you know time capsule, I guess you could say. But um, yeah, I'm seeing that more and more now too. Even over CDs, like the, the cassette thing seems to be um, the way to go uh, for physical. So. We got one more tune for you off of I Object to Everything by Axons. Um, we're going to close out the show with this. Um, so uh, before we do all that, uh, you can check out axons.bandcamp.com uh, for more info about the release itself. And um, there will be a feature page at rockinchicago.org with this episode on links to different uh podcasting streaming platforms that we're on along with the amazing guest list curation Adele did uh, with some of her cohorts and fellow Chicago musicians um, that's available on Spotify and YouTube so Adele thanks so much for coming on and um, uh, tell us all about shove it thanks Eric so when okay I do have a few funny things to say about this one when Ken Conley was um, caught after about a little more than two weeks um, on the run and he was sentenced to not just on the bank robbery, but he was separately sentenced on um, having escaped from prison. And during his sentencing hearing, 
uh, you know, he told the judge to shove it, which was, um, well, I guess I'll just say this is a, a funny thing about how my life intersects with this, which is just last week, I, I did the first um, in-person trial I've done since before the pandemic, since well before the pandemic, and was in front of that same judge. And um, yeah, <laughs> so I thought about that. Sometimes I thought about uh, how completely surreal that must have been because federal court is such a formal and serious place where everybody treats each other, even in contentious situations, people treat each other with a lot of you know, respect and formality. And for something this chaotic to be introduced into that courtroom, um, just must have really shaken everybody in that environment. And so, yeah, that's what that song is drawn from. Mm-hmm.